Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 27th of June 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. And we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us northern exposure from north of the border. Mark Anderson, who will be joining us on live link from the US of A and our very own Katie Jo Murfin. OK, David, uh, let's get straight on then. Uh, you want to start with uh, the Roe v Wade situation? Uh, yes, Mike, thanks. We've been watching the Roe v Wade case since it started its uh, transit through the United States Supreme Court. And it was clear a week ago that something big was coming because, uh, as this first slide shows, um, population reduction advocate Bill Gates, who's very pro-abortion, as you can imagine, uh, had resorted to using his daughter Phoebe, age 19, in a bikini uh, to sell my body, my choice, uh, using sex to sell. So that's uh, that showed, I thought, a certain level of desperation. Uh, contrast that, if you will, with what was coming out of the uh, anti-abortion uh, advocates' um, uh, such as this illustration here. Um, Life News was reporting uh, a report uh, by uh, abortion advocates, actually, that over 200 abortion centres uh, in America would close after uh, the United States Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. That's 200 out of about 750, so a very substantial reduction. And you see there that the baby in the womb has its thumb up in approval. And then on Monday, um, this duly occurred, sorry, on Friday, I beg your pardon, this duly occurred. Here we have the New York Times reporting the end of Roe. The uh, Supreme Court's abortion ruling will transform American life and politics, it writes. And we see here the uh, anti-abortion protesters um, uh, cheering and crying in happiness at the news that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. The New York Times continues... Uh, the Supreme Court uh, has overturned the constitutional right to abortion in America. The court's decision issued yesterday is a culmination of a generational conservative campaign to strike down Roe v. Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court ruling that established abortion rights. Three conservative justices whom Donald Trump appointed to the court supplied the votes to finally do so. Quote, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly, implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, end quote. Uh, said Justice Samuel Alito uh, in his majority report. Uh, but uh, the New York Times continues, but Roe's fall will likely reduce abortion access for low-income women and black and Hispanic women, uh, many of whom lack resources to travel. More on that in a moment. And uh, the New York Times, Times completes uh, their article uh, with a little map showing where um, abortion bans will come into effect immediately as of June 24th and where they are expected soon. So you see a very substantial portion of America is going to be covered uh, by statewide abortion bans. Uh, this has been viewed um, by the political elite as a great catastrophe, uh, and all of the usual suspects have been um, pontificating on the matter. Justin Trudeau, um, a political rights, calls the overturn of Roe v. Wade horrific. Quote, my heart goes out to the millions of American women who are now set to lose their legal right to an abortion. I can't imagine the fear and anger you are feeling right now, he said on Twitter. No government politician or man should tell a woman what she can and cannot do with her body. More on that story later. 
Um, and it's uh, been the same across the entire globe. Uh, Reuters reports that French President Macron said abortion is a fundamental right for all women. We must protect it. I would like to express my solidarity with all those women whose freedoms have today been compromised by the United States Supreme Court, he wrote again on Twitter. And um, The Guardian covered uh, some of the political response in America. Uh, Biden said the opinion was so extreme, emphasizing the wide-ranging effect it would have. Let's be clear, the health and life of women in this nation are now at risk, he said. And uh, Senator Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren criticized the opinion via a statement Six radical Supreme Court justices have overturned nearly 50 years of precedent, stripping away the constitutional right to an abortion. Uh, they have decided that the government, not the person who is pregnant, she uses the pregnant person there, uh, should, should make private health care decisions and deny women the right to control their own bodies and futures. So she's using, using both pregnant person and woman in that statement, trying to cover all bases, it would seem. Um, so that's the political reaction. Um, I would like to go on just briefly to what we're actually talking about and, and why this decision has been made and why the political pressure has mounted over the years for this decision. And I would like to start with um, a, a, an extract from a book by Ron Paul, who is, uh, as many will know, an OBYN doctor um, in, his, in his original career. Uh, and he writes uh, on abortion, uh, on one occasion in the 1960s, when abortion was still illegal, I witnessed while visiting a surgical suite as an OBGYN resident the abortion of a fetus that weighed approximately two pounds. It was placed in a bucket, crying and struggling to breathe. The medical personnel pretended not to notice. Soon the crying stopped. This harrowing event forced me to think more seriously about this important issue. The same day in the OB suite, an early delivery occurred of an infant born only slightly larger than the one that was just aborted. But in this room, everybody did everything conceivable to save the child's life. My conclusion that day is that we were overstepping the bounds of morality by picking and choosing who should live and who should die. These were human lives. There was no consistent moral basis to the value of life under these circumstances. Um, we've now got a, a video of some evidence being, being led to the American Congress uh, describing what a, what a second trimester abortion actually involves. This is quite harrowing, but an essential part of the story. Dr. Levitino, we'll begin with you. Welcome. Thank you, Chairman and members of the committee. Um, I only have five minutes, so I'm going to get right to it. Second trimester D&E abortions performed between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches and she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks, but she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned, and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand or smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called a sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. 
Adenia procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, and pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you. And use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head in the baby that size is about the size of a large plum. Can't see it, but you pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations, you just successfully performed a second trimester Dini abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. And it's information and testimony like that and uh, scientific developments that have allowed uh, the, the, the true nature of what's happening to be uh, visible to the public uh, that have transformed this debate. Uh, meanwhile, um, on the opposite side of the debate, the arguments have been falling apart. We see here a slide um, that highlights uh, both how the uh, My Body, My Choice pro-abortion lobby were at the forefront of calling for mandatory vaccinations. Uh, and are now talking about mandatory uh, vasectomies. So um, the idea that it's about choice has rather been abandoned. Um, and the nature of the aggressive speech from the pro-abortion lobby is very striking. It's all full of anger. We have a very short example here. So that's the tone that's coming from the left, the pro-abortion lobby. Um, and we see here um, on um, the Mail Online reporting um, that uh, pro-abortion activists in blood-soaked uh, outfits brandished toy dolls outside the Supreme Court. Uh, oh, sorry, outside Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barnett's uh, Virginia home. Um, so any idea that what's being killed is not a baby is also being abandoned. Um, by the pro-abortion lobby. And it's, uh, it struck me that, it, uh, it, it, given the nature of anger, how much um, violence might be involved uh, if, uh, if and when the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, came down in, to uh, remove Roe v. Wade. And I concluded it might be quite a lot, so I started to follow examples of violence in, in America um, committed by the pro-abortion uh, uh, lobby. And there seems to be quite a lot of it. Uh, here we have uh, one story from the Washington Post, where a man with a gun was arrested near Brett Kavanaugh's home. Uh, he, the, the court documents indicate that the man told police he wanted to kill the Supreme Court justice. Um, and also we have here from uh, Breitbart, the Los Angeles Police Department charges a man with attempted murder during Roe v. Wade protests. Uh, and you see there the sign being held up, Crystal Fascists. So, uh, Christians are being targeted by the mob here for a particular venom. Um, and the, uh, the number of um, pregnancy services which do not support abortion, which have been subject to vandalism, firebombing and other sorts of attacks, uh, now runs well over 100 in America. So the, the violence is, uh, is stacking up very, in a very troubling manner. Um, one of the things which has driven this debate has been the 
high quality scans so people can understand exactly uh, what the level of development of, uh, of the unborn child is. Here we see uh, a report from the Irish Independent back in 2006. Fetus 4D scans reignite the abortion debate. A 4D scanning technique developed by Stuart Campbell uh, at the Create Health Clinic in London has uh, helped to revive abortion as a political issue since he published the first images two years ago. The pictures showed fetuses of 12 weeks gestation bouncing and kicking in the womb before the mothers are usually aware of such movement. At 16 weeks, they can be seen sucking the thumbs and yawning and 18 weeks opening their eyes. Um, the uh, I wouldn't say it reignited debate. I think I think these high quality scans actually ended the debate and made it uh, only a matter of time until abortion went into reverse. Um, of course, in America, there is a racial element of this. We had Herman Cain, former presidential um, a candidate, saying that it wasn't Planned Parenthood, it was Planned Genocide. And we've got a little video that illustrates this issue as well. Black lives matter or just some black lives? The black lives killed by black men matter, right? Yes? The black babies killed in the abortions clinics matter, right? Thought so. The black, the black officers killed by that bastard in, in Minnesota, that matters too, right? Okay. But the black babies that are killed in the abortion clinics don't matter, do they? Medical people. Uh, do their lives matter? Does the future of our black babies matter? Huh? What's up? What's up? Awful quiet now, aren't they? Uh-huh. It's okay if we kill them in the womb, right? But you have a problem when we, you don't seem to really have a problem when we kill them on the streets. Yes, well, we know they're the same is issue. If we, don't, if we don't respect the lives of our unborn children enough to save them and fight for them, our lives mean nothing once we're born. So uh, th this has also been playing um, in America, and I'm sure Mark will comment on, on this more. And finally, we've got here uh, an example of the, of the, 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 the humor, and um, uh, despite the seriousness of the subject, uh, lightheartedness and compassion that the anti-abortion uh, advocates have been bringing to the issue. Uh, this one's from the Babylon Bee. Mr. Jenkins, sorry for the wait. Thanks for seeing me, Dr. Pip. What seems to be the problem? Well, my knee has started to lock up on me sometimes. Hmm, I see. Does it hurt? Yeah, kinda. I was hoping to do something about it. Sure, we can take care of that. It's a simple fix. We'll just chop off each of your limbs and then suck out your brains with a vacuum. What? We'll just chop off each of your limbs and then suck out your brains with a vacuum. Just a little chop chop and then... Out come the brains. What are you talking about? It's healthcare. What? It is... Healthcare. How? Where am I losing you? Immediately. Your knee is bugging you. Yes. And you want me to do something about it? Yes. We just need to sever your spinal cord. You'll be on your way. I'm not letting you sever my spinal cord. It's healthcare. It's violent. Whoa. Don't tell me you're anti-choice. I'm not. I'm pro-choice. And I'm choosing not to let you do that to me. Oh, it's not up to you. What? It's up to her. Hi, I'm Susan. Who is that? It's Susan. She just said that. I just said that. I'm Susan. Who is Susan? A woman. It's up to her. What do you think, Susan? Oh, suck those brains out. There's your answer. Your body, her choice. Get that vacuum away from me. It's healthcare. Why does Susan get to decide? She's got a career to think about. I'm going to be a famous actress. 
And I don't want you mucking it up. I don't even know who you are! She's a woman, it's her choice, it's healthcare. Stop saying it's healthcare! Oh, would you rather Susan do this to you on her own in a back alley with a clothes hanger or something? I don't want Susan or you or anybody doing this to me at all! Why? What? Why don't you want this? Why would I want this? It's safe and effective. It does not sound safe and effective. You are anti-choice. No, I'm, uh, anti- Women? No, I'm pro- Rape. No! Anti-healthcare? Cause that's all this is, it's healthcare. It is not healthcare. It's 100% healthcare. Medicine, healthcare, x-rays, healthcare, stitches, healthcare, sucking out your brains and then quietly selling your tissues, making a small, nice little profit, healthcare. Selling my tissue to who? I'll never tell. I feel like I am losing my mind. <laughs> but I haven't even started yet. No, 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 no. The answer is no. No, you can't chop off my limbs. No, you can't sever my spinal cord. No, you cannot suck out my brains. How you can call these procedures healthcare is baffling to me. It is healthcare. It is not healthcare. All you want is for your knee to stop hurting. Correct? Yes, that's all I want. So if I got your knee to stop hurting, would that be healthcare? Yes, that would be healthcare. So, do you think your knee will still hurt after I sever your spinal cord, chop off your limbs, and suck out your brain? Well, uh, well, technically, no. I guess it wouldn't hurt then. Alrighty, let's get to work. <sighs> Fine, let's just get this over with already. This is gonna take long. I got goat yoga in about 15 minutes. So that that shows you the the approach where we're bringing the the um, the, the anti-abortion lobby been bringing humour and mockery, and it's been extremely effective. Um, and just to finish off, uh, and for the benefit of Justin Trudeau, uh, here's a little diagram that it illustrates the difference between uh, your body and someone else's body because uh, Justin doesn't know. Uh, yes, thank Mark, you. can I can I ask you to can I ask you to comment on 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 that, Mark? It's hard to beat that. It's hard to top that. Uh, it shows the inherent contradiction, doesn't it? Uh, when a, a pregnant woman gets in a car accident, and if both people die, the the uh, unborn baby and the mother, then it's counted as two fatalities in the car accident. Always has been. Always will be. So the law has always. Uh, directly and subtly or not so subtly recognize both lives as being separate independent beings <clears throat> and in fact in the wake of the may 24 ruling uh, dobbs versus jackson's women's health organization the actual ruling june 24 that is that uh, overturned roe v wade and overturned doe versus casey that's very important in the wake of that ruling uh, father paul kalchik uh, that's Father Paul Kalchik, uh, uh, writing at the churchmilitant.com, a church near Detroit, or a, a news organization near Detroit, rather. Um, uh, he talked about this. He said, for decades now, the rabid left has publicized the whopper lie. It is my body, and no one has the right to tell me what to do. For starters, uh, the priest added, a child within a mother's womb is not a part of the mother's body the child within the womb has its own dna and its own unique fingerprints since time immemorial society has recognized the child within the mother's body as a distinctly different person as father kalchik wrote again at churchmilitant.com a catholic news organization just to make that clear 
So uh, absolutely. And uh, what this also shows with this ruling, and, and Judge Alito wrote a very, very intelligent opinion on this. And he talked very uh, clearly how when Roe was passed, it was the making of law by the court. It was not a judicial decision based based on things that were already established. It established something new, cut completely from whole cloth that was the making of law in its mechanics, in its ingredients, in every way. So the court made law in, in January of 1973 when Roe was first passed. Now, 1992 came along and the Casey decision came along and that loosened the screws a lot more. What's ironic about this is that had Roe v. Wade been um, obeyed, you might say, by the letter, to the letter, it would have only permitted abortions in the first three months, the first trimester. But the Casey decision threw off all the remaining or at least most of the remaining restrictions and then abortion by, um, on demand at any stage, even partial birth abortion came along. So this, the fact that Casey was also overturned, not just Roe, uh, just a few days ago on June 24th is very important. We have to remember overturning both of those is key. And really abortion, um, the, the abortion industry has taken a major setback here based on its own excesses. The pendulum was bound to swing the other way. It finally did uh, the extremism of partial birth abortion. Uh, abortion is really a misnomer. The proper term would be termination. The word abort simply means to put aside or to stop or to cease doing something. So the word abortion itself is one of the many euphemisms that have been used to sell this Malthusian baby-killing industry. And it is, in fact, a super mega for-profit industry that runs off of tax dollars in the U.S. It's, some, it's not just another medical treatment as that uh, uh, animation so uh, um, humorously but ironically pointed out. And I would also add that um, there's so much that could be said here, of course, maybe we're a little short on time, but the Washington Post, to accent what you showed about the um, Black Lives Matter, the Washington Post brought out the article that the, the new ruling discriminates against women of color. But this is really critical. When Margaret Sanger founded the Birth Control League, which became Planned Parenthood, she specifically put the abortion clinics in black neighborhoods, and she said that she did that to willfully and knowingly carry out black genocide. She's, she said in her own words that I am targeting uh, less, lesser parts of the human race uh, and I want to uh, uh, weed out, uh, you know, pick the weeds out of the field, so to speak. I, I'm roughly paraphrasing her. So it was all about eugenics from the beginning. Margaret Sanger targeted black with abortion. So for the Washington Post to argue that this helps women of color is a gross misstatement of fact. And I would even go so far as to say that with 60 million plus deaths alone, and that's just the reported intentional surgical abortion since 1973, over 60 million deaths, that is, if I dare use the word, Holocaust, a Holocaust, uh, and genocide and Holocaust, of course, there's a thin line between the two, but the uh, isn't it interesting that now the Washington Post, the New York Times, you might say, have been the real Holocaust deniers? Now, if that's not grand irony, I don't know what is. And so I think those are the main points. Uh, other things that came along were in 2010, the Tea Parties became more involved in politics. They got more people elected at the local and state level. Ron Paul probably has spoken about this. 
And uh, once the Tea Parties got involved, more of the state legislatures became Republican or Libertarian conservative. And that also made a big difference in changing the paradigm that made this ruling possible. Um, I think that um, that's probably enough said. I'll just add as an addendum that uh, the the Bishop of, Mich of, of South, Southwest Michigan, Bishop Bradley of the Kalamazoo Diocese, he's pointing out that now the church will get to work to make sure that pregnant women have all the resources they need, have all the protections they need, both before and after the child is born. So they're not just letting this hang. The, the Catholic Church especially, but other churches too, are getting involved in protecting and helping pregnant women uh, in the wake of this decision. Okay, Mark, thank you very much for that. Um, we, uh, we were just uh, noting that this so far has been a male uh, conversation. Katie Jo, I just wonder if you've got any thoughts on this? Yes, thank you. Um, well, Mark just, I mean, said everything that I, I wanted to say about Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood and everything, and how they've taken something that actually, I think, is a last resort, is something that no woman, no you know, woman that cares really about life would want to have to make that decision. It's I'm lucky I've never actually had to, I've never been in that situation and I would never ever want to be, um, you know, but they've taken it and they've, they've made it something, you know, that they make profit out of um, and that they, they, you know, they've been committing genocide through. It's, it's just awful. Um, but whether the scales, I mean, I'm not pro-abortion, but I'm also, I'm also, you know, there are some circumstances where it's, you know, it, it, you know, say you're 11 and you've been raped. I mean, I don't know, you know, do, do you have the, the right to make that choice? Um, uh, Katie, Joe, certainly... this, this is, a, this is a, something that has been said to me many times. And my thoughts on this are that, that, that when you have these kind of cases, then they've got to be dealt with mm. on a case-by-case -case basis. But you can't, yeah, you can't absolutely. therefore generalize and say well it's fine for everybody just on a whim to make that decision i hundred percent agree with you hundred percent agree with you there are these very special cases where it, you know it's it's one of those things that you have to you know you have to consider but for it to be um a birth control uh, option no no yeah. absolutely not and 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 to be to be committing abortions in the second trimester is is murder Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'd just add to it that uh, this whole debate, um, and we've heard some, I've seen some horrific things described today, um, comes down to the apparent eagerness of our politicians to kill babies. So whether whether it's our own government ministers speaking out on this, it does appear, and I'm going to use the term deliberately, that we've got a death cult operating. They're not celebrating life. They're not looking as to how they can help families and support families and women through difficult time and support the children and look after the children in care. We simply don't, we don't care. These people do not care. Kill, kill the babies. And if we lose 200 odd Syrian children, presumably trafficked, we don't care about that either. We have politicians in power in, in both the States and the UK who seem to be part of a death cult. And I think people need to reflect on that. Okay, yeah, better move on. Uh, if you like what the UK column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options to help us out there. You could pick something up on, uh, from the UK column shop. That would be much appreciated, uh, appreciated as well. Uh, but please do uh, share 
the material that you find on the various platforms. Um, and David, you've been doing a couple of uh, podcasts uh, recently. Uh, yes, this uh, this one is with uh, the Plumley podcast, uh, Sarah Plumley, and she's. Uh, uh, talking to me about all things education and particularly home education. Uh, so anyone who is interested in in educating their child at home should seek out the uh, the um, the, the Plumley podcast and her associated writing and uh, output. It's all fascinating stuff, and it was a very interesting conversation. And this uh, second slide here, this is a, a talk I gave at the Health and Truth Conference a couple of weeks ago. We've seen some clips from uh, uh, John William uh, Noble already on the column. This uh, this is my talk. It's, it's, it's now up on their site um, and it will be on the UK column site too shortly. Uh, uh, it covers the history of the UK column, my involvement with it and why we do what we do. Okay, thank you very much for that. Right, let's move on then uh, to the Magnificent Seven, except there aren't seven, of course, uh, there are nine. Uh, so here they are. Uh, and of course, there's two from the European Union, uh, plus the rest. Uh, aren't they a wonderful uh, group, Brian? No, no, they're, no, no, they're no, not. We're, we're, we're going to be discussing these uh, horrible individuals. Uh, I just laugh slight, slightly because the suits are all there trying to look casual because they've got no ties on. And then we've got the token woman. Uh, so, yes, yes. You know, well, that's uh, what that not, picture's about. <clears throat> you wouldn't know these days. But anyway, uh, what, are they, what were they talking about? Let's just put that picture back up on screen because, of course, this is taking place in Germany, and you've got the uh, the wonderful countryside there. But uh, uh, Putin's blockade driving up international food prices this is the main thing. Uh, UK is working with partners on a plan to overcome Russia's stranglehold hold, and will work with Ukraine to repair vital railways, they claim. Uh, and uh, so Boris today is going to be emphasizing the crisis, uh, which is uh, reaching global consequences, uh, far-reaching global consequences, sorry, and requires an internationally coordinated solution. Uh, not only is Russia preventing Ukraine from exporting grain, uh, there is increasing evidence that Russia is stealing grain from Ukraine, smuggling it over the border, uh, and it's going to boost uh, Putin's war coffers as a result. Uh, so Biden is reported to have uh, uh, called on Olaf Scholz, the German chancellor, uh, to not allow dissent, uh, because, of course, France and Germany have been dissenting on this. Uh, we have to say to stay together, Biden said, because Putin has been counting on from the very beginning that somehow NATO and the G7 would splinter, uh, but we haven't and we're not going to. And Schultz, uh, well, he fell into line very quickly. He said, uh, the summit must send out not only the message that NATO and the G7 are more united than ever, but also that the democracies of the world stand together against Putin's imperialism, just as they do in the fight against hunger and poverty. Uh, so as a result, the UK has put in uh, one and a half million pounds to develop a testing process to, to identify whether Grain sold by Russia on the world market has been taken from Ukraine, stolen. Uh, and uh, so that's going to deal, tackle, uh, they said, the scourge of uh, stolen grain. Uh, and uh, there you go. So, uh, they're probably stealing the grain to feed the children they've already supposedly stolen. stolen. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, and who did he meet? Well, strangely enough, I mean, it's quite incredible that the two people that, uh, uh, that David chose to comment on in his section uh, was Justin Trudeau uh, and, uh, well, the other one, uh, Macron, as we'll see in a second. And here's Boris meeting Trudeau. Uh, and, uh, well, they were saying that Ukraine is on a knife edge and we need to tip the balance of the war in their favour. That means providing Ukraine with defensive capabilities, training and intelligence uh, that they need to repel the Russian advance. 
So uh, they're going to provide some intelligence. And of course, that means direct involvement. But look, we've got a little bit of, clip, of a clip here. We'll show just a short section of this just to give you the feeling for it. Uh, please try not to be ill. Hi, I'm Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Et je m'appelle Justin Trudeau, je suis Premier ministre du Canada. And we're here in the G7 in Germany, but there's one world leader who can't be here, sadly, and that's our friend and colleague Volodymyr Zelensky, President of Ukraine, who's been leading his people in their heroic fight against the unprovoked aggression of Vladimir Putin. And Zelensky's not just been standing up for Ukrainians, as Ukrainians fight like heroes for their own land, They've been standing up for the principles and the values that bind us together as democracies, the rule of law, uh, the so sovereignty, territorial integrity, the principes important for tout le monde dans le monde. And so here at the G7, we're showing more support for Ukraine, another half billion pounds worth of loans guarantees, making sure we, together we sanction a more Russian oligarchs associated uh, with Vladimir Putin, and also placing restrictions on Russian gold exports worth 13 and a half billion pounds. Yeah, we're increasing the tank. Right, that's enough of that com comedic duo. It's better than any Babylon B video. But anyway, uh, who else did he meet? Well, we mentioned it already. Uh, Macron. So here he is, Boris meeting Macron. And they were discussing Ukraine, of course. They agreed that this is a critical mo moment for the conflict. I think that's they said that already. Uh, and uh, they, it, But they say that there is an opportunity to turn the tide of the conflict, Brian, so that's good. Uh, they need to support Ukraine and strengthen their hand both in uh, both the war and any future negotiations. So there is an acknowledgement that there probably needs to be some negotiations. But let's see what kind of... Uh, uh, propaganda they're being pushed out. Their security is our security and their freedom is our freedom, says Boris Johnson from the G7. That's what it's all about. And as you heard in that little bit of video, uh, they have put uh, sanctions on Russian gold. Uh, and of course, what does that mean? Well, it means that Russia can't pay its debts uh, because the last uh, area, the, the last way mechanism that they could have paid their debts uh, was has now been fully cut off uh, earlier in the month, I think at the beginning of uh, uh, June, they said that uh, uh, Russia would no longer be able to use gold to pay any kind of international debt, but they now are stopping all uh, exports of, of newly mined gold uh, from Russia at all. Uh, then, of course, don't worry, uh, we can still bung uh, Ukraine lots of money, but only in the form of loans. So another half billion dollars in loans to the Ukrainian government is what's been guaranteed uh, at the G7. Uh, and uh, well, so there we go. The question then is, what is going on? Uh, well, if we, I just want to highlight this um, article here, and it's, it's not bad. It's a, an opinion piece in the Global Times. Of course, China, uh, this is Chinese media, uh, and the headline is, the G7 summit should read BRICS Beijing Declaration carefully. Um, and uh, well, this is what they're saying. It's not surprising that the US and Western public opinion, uh, some narrow-mindedly believe that the BRICS mechanism wants to create an anti-US alliance. This is not only a deliberate trap of wording, but it's also creating an imaginary enemy. Uh, and they go on to say, uh, the world has once again come to a crossroads, peace or war, development or decline, opening up or closing, cooperation or confrontation. These questions are thought provoking for a turbulent world full of challenges. The BRICS summit was a surprise. Uh, we hope that the upcoming G7 summit and NATO summit will not startle the world. We have a suggestion the G7 summit may just as well carefully read the 14th BRICS summit Beijing declaration, and it would definitely be rewarding. Uh, so uh, the BRICS had their meeting uh, earlier last week, 
uh, and they produced a summit which was about, as they say, peace, uh, at least this is what the, the rhetoric was from it, peace, development and so on, uh, it, from the G7, uh, as they're suggesting we're getting war. Uh, but we're getting a memorandum uh, on the partnership for global infrastructure and investment from the White House. This is being launched the, at the G7 as well. Um, and well, what's it all about? It's about uh, finance mainly for green projects uh, and so on. So uh, projects uh, will be launched to, to rival the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, it's all, it's basically a rebranding, a build back better, Brian, that's what this is. Uh, and uh, so for example, it's a bit of a shell game. Uh, USAID will invest 40 million pounds in the Southeast, sorry, 40 million dollars in the Southeast Asia Smart Power Program uh, to decarbonize and deploy clean energy technologies. Uh, that 40 million dollars is expected to mobilize 2 billion dollars in financing. So it's just about creating more debt. Uh, and of course, with the debt comes control. Yes, 100%. The, yeah. uh, but in parallel with that, or just a, a couple of days prior to the G7, uh, Boris was at the uh, Commonwealth Heads of government, me government meeting. He wasn't alone. Prince Charles was there. Camilla was there. They were doing all kinds of stuff. This was uh, an amazing exercise in, in British soft power. Uh, and uh, of course, it's all about turbocharging trade and economic uh, partnerships across the Commonwealth. Uh, well, is that what it's really about? Uh, because really one of the major projects that they've launched uh, was all about active citizenship uh, because uh, active citizens don't wait around for change to happen. Um, so uh, they have decided to launch a £27 million uh, partnership with VSO, which is uh, the UK's leading overseas volunteering charity. Uh, and they've created the Active Citizenship Through Inclusion, Volunteering and Empowerment brackets active program. Uh, it's going to reach two and a half million pounds across 18, 18 countries by mobilizing marginalized groups, including including young women, uh, sorry, including women, young people and those with disabilities to act on the issues that are important to them. Uh, and it's, it's going to be led through uh, education programs and so on. Here is the uh, active citizenship through inclusive volunteering and uh, empowerment uh, tender document, because uh, there's plenty of money on it. But of course, one of the really key areas that they want uh, to push for is uh, LGBT, LGBT rights in the Commonwealth. Um, so what we're really seeing here uh, is uh, globalization, a globalist policy uh, being pumped out through the Commonwealth uh, with, uh, well, global Britain at the heart of it. Uh, yep, so this is the, the soft power. I just wanted to add there, Mike, the British Council backing active citizens. This sounds like a rebranding of uh, future leaders from common purpose. This is 100% what it is, yeah. yes. But same, same agenda, we're gonna get into countries and we're gonna take over the countries from the inside, something we've been warning about for a great many years. Well, let's move on to the subject of the war in Ukraine. And uh, we've got a section to try and give you an overview as to what's really happening. We'll kick off with the BBC's headline here because well, let's expand it on screen. This is a very interesting statement. Live, help us end war by year's end, as Zelensky urges the G7. So we can just ask ourselves, what is he talking about? Does he honestly think he's suddenly going to turn this war around and win it uh, by the end of the year? That's what the uh, BBC would have many people mistakenly believe. 
Or is this the start of even Zelensky realizing that if he doesn't stop the war, he's not going to have a country to do anything with? Well, we remind viewers that a little while ago we used this source. Now, we're saying there's some really excellent material uh, coming out on the Internet. Um, Defence Politics Asia we've used before, but there are many others and we're going to continue to promote the other good people. Uh, but this was our report back on the 20, 21st of June. And of course, a big battle going on for the city of Severodonetsk and uh, the other side of the river to the southwest, Lizzie Chance. Very heavy fighting. All of the reports saying, well, the Russians have no chance of capturing this industrial area because the fighters are going to dig into the Azov chemical plant. Uh, there was extensive fighting along the whole of the Kharkiv, Donbass and southern fronts as well. And uh, it was also obvious that there was increasing encirclement of the Ukrainian positions going on. So if we bring it up to date, well, it's now all over because the Russians have fully taken Severodonetsk. This is a major operation because they were fighting thousands of dug-in troops. But not only have they taken the city, they've also taken the Azov chemical plant and they've moved uh, enough forces now to essentially encircle Lizzie Chansk. And that uh, city is going to fall very shortly as well. And this means that the Russians have been fully successful in taking over the, uh, the industrialized area of the Donbass. And after that, they're going to be moving into what is largely uh, agricultural land of Ukraine where the Ukrainians have only been able to put in very rough defences. So this is all looking extremely bad for Ukraine. Uh, there's been a lot of um, um, people taken prisoner, a uh, vast number of people killed, but the BBC simply does not want to tell the truth. This is the story being peddled, CNN, uh, pointing out that uh, Boris Johnson and others are saying we need to prepare for the fact that it could take years. So there's no question they don't want peace to have any form of chance because they'd be saying, let's, let's get negotiations going again and stop the killing. But as with the babies, we're going to carry on to kill as many people as possible. Uh, so Crux here, another alternative media site, but it was a very good quote. The price of backing down, the price of allowing Putin to succeed, to hack off huge parts of Ukraine, to continue with his program of conquest, that price will be far, far higher. Um, so what is uh, Boris really after? Well, he wants Ukraine, of course. This is about power. This is about taking over Ukraine for the US, the UK and the EU. The West wants that food and economic production. And at the end of the day, of course, it was the US and the UK in particular that created the revolution in Ukraine and installed Zelensky. So Boris Johnson wants those weapons in, but uh, against another uh, headline here of uh, Boris, uh, this is the key thing. We don't want too many of those weapons to go in because the aim is to keep the fighting going as long as possible. But also we haven't actually got the weapons. So this is about keeping the team together to keep the pressure on to keep the war running in Ukraine but we're not going to let Ukraine win because we're not going to give Ukraine the weapons to do so. And there's been some really excellent analysis. I've chosen this particular uh, gentleman uh, who talks in a military, uh, very military analysis uh, from Austria. 
And here he's got some details about the size of the Ukrainian armed forces at the start of the war, military personnel, 260,000, nearly 2,500 tanks, 1,500 pieces of field artillery, 500 rocket systems. This is a major army which has now uh, been uh, decimated. So um, this was what the Ukrainians started out with. But the reality is now that although they've mobilized some 600, 700,000 troops, the Ukrainian army and its equipment has literally been devastated in the battles with the Russians to date. And one of the signs that this is true is the Ukrainians themselves have recently been asking for this massive, massive amount of weapon systems if they are to win the war. A thousand howitzers, 300 rocket systems, 500 tanks, 2,000 armoured vehicles and 1,000 drones. Uh, but, uh, you know, if we look at this, uh, this is Zelensky begging for enough equipment to equip an army, but his army doesn't exist anymore. He's got men, but they're not trained. And here is an indication, again, uh, from our Austrian uh, friend who's reporting in great detail about what's happening. Uh, this is showing how weapon deliveries and pledges compare with Ukraine's needs. And you can see that they're falling short in a very big way, particularly with those rocket systems, but also the howitzers at the bottom of your screen. What Ukraine needs or says it needs and what it has been getting are two very different things. And the trouble is that Zelensky still doesn't realize he's been played and betrayed by NATO in the EU. And those weapons supplies are dwindling because the West doesn't have them and also doesn't want to give away war stocks for the West. Now, this is the second part of it, is that uh, the troops that uh, are in Ukraine and the weapons systems the Ukrainians have got, the military um, analysts are saying those should be kept in reserve, they should be built up with training. But what's actually happening is they're being uh, pushed towards the front line. And before we, we give a little bit of detail about that, have a look at this. Uh, he's showing some examples of how the Ukrainians are trying to train people on the Western equipment. We've literally got giant size sticky notes put on the side of an armored vehicle trying to teach people how to drive it and what its capability is. So this is utter madness. And of course, all that's going to happen when this vehicle and its barely trained crew go to the front line is they're going to be destroyed. So this was the analysis. Instead of keeping uh, this material back in order to get it fully prepared, uh, it's being thrown piecemeal into the front line. And interestingly, this is increasingly shown as decisions by Zelensky and the political uh, puppets rather than his own Ukrainian military advice. And we're getting more and more indications that inside Ukraine, there is a backlash from the Ukrainian military commands uh, because these crazy decisions are being made by Zelensky himself. So the men and the materiel is being pushed at the front line where it's simply going into what this uh, man describes as the meat grinder. And the ultimate result is, of course, that the men and the material is being destroyed and there's much um, visual evidence to show this on screen. He's got the destruction of the famous uh, M777 uh, artillery pieces, but also there's plenty of evidence of Western rocket systems and other heavy Western equipment 
simply being destroyed at the front. Um, but of course, the equipment is one thing. It's the death of the soldiers, on uh, Ukrainian soldiers on the front line, which is particularly harrowing. Um, just listen to this little piece of uh, an interview with a Ukrainian soldier. Oh, I just apologize there because that that in fact was the clip showing Western weapons systems simply now being collected up by the Russians. Um, huge amounts of this Western equipment, particularly the lighter material uh, like the anti-tank weapons, left hundreds, hundreds of these systems now simply falling into the hands of the Russians. We'll give you the other video clip with the interview in just a second. But this was the introduction because we're now seeing even Western media having to admit the scale of the losses to the Ukrainian forces. So here's the headline with 80% is the key statistic. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about Ukrainian units which have suffered 80% killed and wounded in a particular unit. And remember that we now know Ukrainian losses approximately 200 dead and 800 wounded per day. So this is the end of, a, of an army and a functioning system. And yet Ukraine under the control of Zelensky is still throwing untrained troops, young and old, into the fray. So this is really horrible stuff to see. And of course, Boris Johnson, by pushing in more weapons, is helping the uh, killing and the brutality to go on. Let's listen to the second clip, which should be the interview. These men form the elite on the Ukrainian side, members of the Marine Corps, south of the city of Severodonetsk. They're always armed, always ready, rifles kept within reach, and they told us they don't have the time to be afraid. And what goes through your mind when you get the command? Excitement? Fear? Adrenaline. <laughs> The Russians have focused their firepower in the east as they attempt to batter their way into the Donbass. Territory is seized by destroying it first. Thousands have been caught in the crossfire. The Ukrainians are mounting a determined defense, but it comes at a price. This is Marine Company Commander Alexander, waiting for the order to head to the front. What's it like when you are sitting here in this village waiting? 
Ну, ми рідко просто так сидимо. Як правило, ми стараємося займатися, тому що багато під час ведення активних бойових дій з'являється багато поранених, є загиблі. Їх міняють на нових людей. Нові люди менш підготовлені, ніж люди, які були з нами ізначально. Тому приходиться постійно проводити заняття. So the meat of that, um, just to add for people who are just listening into the news today, is that he's saying a lot of dead and wounded, and we know the statistics of this, horrific losses, and they're being replaced essentially by untrained troops. So what is President Zelensky doing to uh, assist this carnage on the battlefield? Well, it appears he's been speaking out at Glastonbury. Katie, tell us about this video clip. <laughs> This video clip, I know it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy to think that we've just been watching videos like that. And now we're, we've got Zelensky um, on a Zoom, uh, you know, satellite uh, video link speaking to the, the, the festival goers at Glastonbury. It's absolutely crazy. Um, I think you've got it there. We'll have a watch of it and then, uh, and then I'll comment afterwards. Greetings, Glastonbury. The festival was used this year after a two-year break. The pandemic has put on hold lives of millions of people around the world. But has not broken. We in Ukraine would also like to live the life as we used to and enjoy freedom and this wonderful summer. But we can't do that because the most terrible has happened. Russia has stolen our peace, but we will not let Russia's war break us and we will want to stop the war before it ruins people's lives in other countries of Europe, Africa, Asia, Latin America. They are all under threat now. That is why I come to you for support. Glastonbury is the greatest concentration of freedom these days. And I ask you to share this feeling with everyone whose freedom is under attack. Spread the truth about Russia's war. Help Ukrainians who are forced to flee their homes because of the war. Find our United 24 charity platform and put pressure on all the politicians you know to help restore peace in Ukraine. Time is priceless and every day is measured in human lives. The more people join us in defending freedom and truth, the sooner Russia's war against Ukraine will end. Proof that freedom always wins. Thank you. So. Well, firstly, I feel like I'm living in some film. It doesn't, doesn't feel real, um, having all those people clapping and cheering him like that. Um, and then... The, the point that actually really stands out for me that he says in that awful spew of lies and guilt tripping um, is when he says we in Ukraine would also like to live the life as we used to and enjoy freedom at this wonderful summer. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the people living in Donbass, in the Donbass region, um, have been subjected to genocide for years. Um, so they didn't, have re they didn't have freedom before Russia's invasion. Um, and he's just reading a script full of propaganda. Um, I just wish people would turn the mainstream media off and actually do a little bit of research and find out some truth for themselves, really. It's incredibly surreal, I think.
uh, Katie Jo totally agree with that. But of course, the people there at Glastonbury weren't, weren't even there for the mainstream media. They were there for the music and somebody, the, the organisers presumably, have taken it upon themselves to bring in that propaganda. But I agree with you, utterly surreal. Wouldn't it be great if all the Glastonbury attendees had uh, rushed around to their MPs to say, let's call a ceasefire to the uh, war in Ukraine? Uh, that might have produced an impact and might have taken us on the route to peace. Well, let's just finish the propaganda. Thank you for that. Let's finish the propaganda with the own UK um, Ministry of Defence. So here's the Defence Intelligence update. Not a lot of intelligence in it, really. Um, but what it does, I'll, I'll summarise it, is, is they're saying that the Russians are struggling. The, the Russians are having difficulty in uh, advancing in the Donbass when the, the opposite is true. The Russians have been very, very clever and consistent in moving through some very difficult territory where they've tried to obviously keep their own casualties to a minimum, but they've also had to try and fight Ukrainian forces that specialize in hiding in urban areas amongst civilian populations. So this is pure nonsense and propaganda coming out from the UK Ministry of Defense. And the other thing, of course, to remember is that while Ukraine has been backed by the US, NATO, EU and the UK, and has got some 650,000 troops mobilized, it has lost. It's clearly beaten by Russia at the moment. And I'm going to suggest that the West needs to wake up to this and call an end to this war straight away. And we'll just end with, of course, the picture of the world as the Russians see it, which is just inevitable um, increasing militarization of the West brought ever closer to Russia's borders by NATO, the US and the UK. And that doesn't even include Sweden and Finland, which yep. are, we're, are heading in that direction as well. Indeed. And uh, if you want to smile in this serious subject, uh, this is really excellent. But uh, the journalist from France 24 went to Lizzie Chance to talk to people, some of whom were leaving. Uh, but they discovered that uh, when they started to talk to the bulk of the local people, they got a shock. And that was because most people are staying and they're staying because they're enthusiastically waiting uh, for the Russian army and liberation. And they were very happy to say so. Yes. And David, then that uh, brings us uh, back to, uh, uh, to uh, Lithuania. Lithuania. Yes, in Kaliningrad. Uh, so this uh, this is New York Times writing here. A sleepy Baltic rail line gets a geopolitical wake-up call. Russia has accused Lithuania, a NATO member, of choking off the flow of goods to Kaliningrad, its enclave, they call it, on the Baltic, as part of sanctions over the war in Ukraine. Lithuania says Russia is lying. Uh, now, we have here uh, an article from Glimpse from the Globe, which is an American student publication, but it gives a good summary of, of the background to Kaliningrad. Uh, and they write that Kaliningrad uh, has become extremely important for Russia's geopolitical strategy uh, since um, Poland entered NATO and the Baltic States followed in 2004. Um, and they also write, beyond its values of Russian uh, stronghold in, quote, enemy, in quote, territory, Kaliningrad is useful because of its commanding position along the Suwalki Gap, a very narrow and hard to defend strip of land that's the only passage from Kaliningrad to Belarus, a Russian ally, the 65-mile stretch of land is all, also the border between NATO countries Poland and Lithuania. Russia is aware of the uniquely strategic position of the Swalky Gap, 
uh, should it take control of the gap, it would geographically cut off the Baltic states from their NATO allies. So that il illustrates just how uh, vitally strategically important this area is. Uh, we go for some light relief to the BBC, uh, who write, um, Kaliningrad row, Lithuania accuses Russia of lying about the blockade. So the uh, Lithuanian Prime Minister has said that uh, the Russian claims of rail blockade of its territorial outposts are a lie. Kaliningrad is on the Baltic Sea and uses rail link to, Ru to Russia via Lithuania for passengers and freight. When Lithuania banned the transit of steel and other ferrous metals under EU sanctions last Saturday, Russia threatened to respond. Um, uh, Simonetti uh, explained that passengers were still able to travel and only around 1% of Russian freight was affected. So we are blockading them, but we're only blockading them a little bit. So that makes it a lie. One senior diplomat in, Russia, in Brussels said that the Russian talk of a blockade was disinformation and completely untrue. But they've just confirmed it's true. So I think they mean malinformation, which is true information that we find hugely embarrassing. Uh, quote, Lithuania is complying with the sanctions imposed by the European Union on Russia for its aggression and the war against Ukraine. Um, so if that's not strange enough, uh, the Baltic Times here continues. Uh, it, it describes how... Uh, first of all, this is not Lithuania's decision. These are European Union sanctions that came into force in, on June the 17th. The railways are now applying these sanctions. So there's no, there's no denying this is happening. The railways are applying the sanctions and notifying their customers that as of June 17th, sanctions goods, sanction, sanctioned goods, steel and other goods made from iron ore will no longer be taken via Lithuania. This has been done in cons consultation with and in, a, and in accordance with the European Commission's guidelines. So it's the European Commission that's responsible. Um, overland transit between Kaliningrad and the rest of Russia is not suspended and blocked. The transit of passengers and goods were not sanctioned by the EU continues. Lithuania has not imposed any unilateral sanctions. She also pointed out that uh, there'll be further bans coming into force on July the 10th for cement, alcohol and other products, and on coal and other fossil fuels on August the 30th, and also on Russian oil from December the 5th. So it's clearly a, a, a ramping up of, uh, of a blockade. So Russia's telling the truth, but we're pretending it's all a lie. It's very, very surreal. Uh, just a quick, uh, a quick um, note that uh, this is a nuclear-armed exclave. Here, Reuters reports back in, um, oh, this is from several years ago, Russia already has nuclear weapons in the Baltic region, says Lithuania. So they are nuclear arms, so that, that should reassure everyone. But it's okay, Mike and Brian. It's okay, because the Financial Times says the EU aims to de-escalate tensions over Russian trade to Kaliningrad. Well, that was good news, but then I read the article. Bans on steel and cement will be enforced, but lawful goods allowed says Lithuania. <laughs> uh, sorry, allowed, allowed through Lithuania, says Joseph Borrell, the EU's top diplomat, and this gets really bizarre, the EU's top diplomat has insisted the bloc has no intention of blocking lawful transport of Russian goods to Kaliningrad through Lithuania in, in comments designed to de-escalate tensions with Moscow. And how do they define lawful goods? Well, it's the goods that they have, they have said are not illegal. It's lawful as defined by the EU and the West. This week, Lithuania began implementing sanctions that ban the transit of certain Russian goods 
through EU states. The Czechs triggered a furious response from Moscow, which accused the EU of starting a blockade um, of Kaliningrad and has threatened that Lithuania with serious consequences. Quote, we do not want to block or prevent the traffic between Russia and Kaliningrad, Joseph Borrell, EU High Representative, said on Thursday, and that the EU measures should be implemented, quote, in a clever and smart way. There are, he continues, there are two objectives, to prevent circumvention of sanctions and not to block traffic. Both things should be possible, and we are working on that, he added. I, gentlemen, I don't know what to say. That is insane. Well, if, if, if they can, pull, it, if they can pull that gag off, David, I don't see why the Northern Ireland uh, border problem should be a problem at all. That, that they seem oh, to be yeah, able to pull off magic else, tricks. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, the other point with this, of course, yeah. this is printed by the Financial Times, which claims that it's actually a newspaper of some standing. But apparently the journalists who put this drivel together can't think through the madness of the words they're printing. I wonder whether we could just ask uh, Mark Anderson very briefly, because the clock is ticking, Mark, but um, uh, do you understand how to sort of communicate with people in Europe these days? Because we don't. Well, the Financial Times is the Bilderberg Times, really. And uh, you're, you're looking at the typical double talk. Um, trade is sacrosanct to the globalists. Whatever wars might be going on, trade must happen to some degree. And it's going to sound insane because it is insane. Uh, the, the whole uh, idea of uh, relying on Ukraine for food and that whole narrative, uh, nations just need to become more self-sufficient. They need to rely less on global trade and be more nationalistic, if I dare say that word, and and kind of kind of tone down and eliminate the need for, for all this uh uh, trade madness uh, that manifests itself in so many ways. Yeah, na nationalistic is uh, uh, that's a, that's a banned word. Uh, independent might be a better word, uh, David. <laughs> yeah. So just to finish off the crazy with the new going back to the New York Times where we started, uh, they interviewed Peter Nielsen, a Danish colonel commanding a NATO unit uh, in Vilnius. And, and he said uh, that uh, he, he didn't sleep very well in the month up to Ukrainian inv invasion, but now I sleep very well, touch wood. Uh, and he said that around half the Russian troops and hardware that had been previously based in Kaliningrad uh, have now been redeployed to the Ukraine. The United States, in contrast, had boosted NATO forces in Lithuania with around 700 American soldiers now in rotation uh, as a supplement to a regular contingent of uh, 1,150 German, 250 Dutch and 200 Norwegian troops. This, said Colonel Nielsen, makes a Russian military strike against, against Lithuania highly unlikely, even if they are crazy. None of that analysis fills me with any sort of confidence because we're talking only, what, 2,500 troops? Um, and we're saying that Russia couldn't mobilise if it feels its, it's essential uh, interests are threatened enough to overwhelm that in that 62-mile uh, strategic gap between Belarus and Kaliningrad. I'm sorry, that is not credible. Uh, I think the, the Danish colonel should go back to military training school. I think he should uh, uh, be back-classed, is that how, I, I, how I would put it, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Kitty Joe. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that uh, you were, or people were setting up a red pill uh, event in Glastonbury. Uh, and uh, well, it has come to the attention of the mainstream press. So we have uh, Vice here 
Uh, COVID, we have vice we here. Do. COVID truthers are having their own red pill Glasgow. That's right. Yeah, according to Vice, um, COVID truthers and conspiracy theorists um, are having their own red pilled uh, Glastonbury. For anybody that doesn't know about Vice Media, um, they received two hundred and fifty million dollars from investors in two thousand and nineteen, including George Soros. So, need I say any more? Really, um, they have featured everyone in the article. Uh, right, said Fred. Um, actually, uh, did uh, did give them an, a, a small interview. Um, they told Vice that. Um, exactly why they were supporting the event and lead singer Richard told Vice World News that his group was involved to support fellow musicians whose careers have been harmed for airing their COVID conspiracist views. While his brother Fred has been a conspiracy theorist even before the pandemic, Richard said himself he had only begun delving into the ideology since the outbreak of coronavirus. I didn't start going down the rabbit hole until I heard about the, until I heard the Build Back Better Man repeated several times by several leaders right across the planet, said Richard, echoing a widespread conspiracist theory, belief that the slogan adopted by Western governments for, the, for their pandemic recovery programs in fact refers to a more sinister plot by so-called globalist elites. Um, the minute you hear people like Trudeau or Macron or Johnson or anybody else saying the same three words in their speeches within a week, you know that something is up, he added. You don't have to be a, co a cordon bleu chef to know the fish is off, <laughs> which is brilliant. So although they're trying to make us look like stupid conspiracy theorists, they've actually given us some great free advertising. Um, Danny Rampling said that the, the media, social media groups that he's on, um, there have been comments like, oh, this looks great and I can't wait to come. And so Vice have actually done us a favor and um, helped us with our ticket sales, which is fabulous. Um, talking about tickets, we have decided that we're going to keep the price at £99 for adults for the weekend. This was the early bird ticket price, um, and it was due to change at the end of the month. Um, but I just think everyone is feeling the pinch, and um, I wish we could do the whole event for free for everybody. Um, but even though we have amazing volunteers and a lot of our artists are actually doing it for free, um, the overheads of running the festival are pretty big yeah. so but but we just wanted to at, you know at least to do something to help and make it a bit more affordable so it's still 60 pound for youth for the youth ticket that's 13 to 18 year olds and under 13s are free to come to the event and there is lots there for the whole family to enjoy um, we're actually going to have a little hope village um, where we'll be selling ice cream and burgers there'll be face painting and henna tattoos um, and one of our teachers that uh, teaches sewing at hope she's going to have a little uh, bus there and she's going to do sewing sessions and so it's going to be plenty for the whole family to enjoy and we have some beautiful food outlets as well one of those being um, Zoo Cafe from Lewis and they do the most beautiful vegan and gluten-free food and coffee and they're going to, their pop-up uh, cafe is stunning um, uh, but one of the most exciting things most exciting things for me about this uh, this uh, event is that I'm discovering so many new up-and-coming artists um, one of them is a, a, a schoolgirl aged 14 actually. Dee Dee Shine is a BBC introducing artist who releases music through her band The Elegant Gull. And Dee Dee writes all the songs, lyrics and melodies and her dad helps out with production and arrangements. Um, she actually uploaded her first song called Social Media to the introducing site when she just turned 11. It was immediately played by Tom Robinson on his BBC Six music show and was their recommended track of the week. 
Um, a couple of weeks later, it was played by Soul Wax on their New Year's Eve show and again on um, uh, Six Music. Uh, three and a half years later, at 14, she has had over a dozen tracks played on Six Music and hundreds of plays on um, uh, uh, Amazing Radio. She has just played her first gig supporting Tom Robinson at the Concord in Brighton, uh, where she only had two weeks to get a show together. Um, so Dee Dee's music takes you from uh, dark and angry to depression and corruption. And her songs, I would say, are have incredibly mature content with this wonderful, innocent pop sound. Um, and we, I'm really happy to be able to give people like Dee Dee and this elegant skull a stage at the Freedom Music Festival and hear, um, and hear all the artists that are coming to perform. Um, if you want to hear them, they're, uh, they're on the collaborators page on the uh, website. And we have just had confirmation that Slipmat, a fantastic legend of a DJ, is uh, DJing Friday night. Um, we also have Rocks Bishop Band, they're kicking off Sunday's live music, and William Wallace protest songs, um, they're singing on Saturday. So it's, it's going to be a fabulous event. And I'd just like to quickly finish this segment with a huge thank you to Michael Manuel James, um, aka Mad Mix, and Martin, the uh, writer and producer of their songs. They have donated 300, uh, 354, 65, uh, 65, uh, £365.54 from the sale of their single, Killer Covid, the Hope, which is going to be going towards the next uh, lot of work that the Alphas are going to do. And their latest single, Monkey Pox My Bee, I can't say it because it, it's, a, it's a very sweary song, they're desperately trying to get it in the charts. And I, I know it's not some of the viewers' cup of tea. It is quite, as I say, sweary throughout it. But actually, um, what I like about that is that sometimes there are no other words apart from expletives. It's such utter laughable rubbish um, that, putting it plainly, it, it's just, you know, you've just got to take the mickey sometimes. And it's a great way to get it out there to people, how ridiculous this monkey is so you can actually get that on amazon and itunes and on his own mad mix conspiracies website right super thank you well we're pretty think, much out of time i think we're out of time actually uh katie joe thank you very much for that and it's great to hear about some positive things happening and an event at which ultimately people are going to enjoy themselves can i just confirm that president Zelensky will not be present at your <laughs> event <laughs> he certainly is not welcome. <laughs> okay, okay, thank you for that. Uh, David, uh, just very quickly, final slides. Yes, yes, to, fin to finish uh, on something with a bit of, a bit of light relief, Metro uh, reported that Gary Lineker uh, claimed he suffered racist abuse because he had darkish skin. Former England footballer, March of the Day host Gary Lineker claimed he suffered racial abuse as a child and as a player. 61-year-old who is white says that his darkish skin meant he was called racial slurs by both school pupils and prominent figures in the sports industry. This was viewed with some hilarity. Uh, here we have Dominic Samuels um, saying, can we just have a moment of silence for the appalling racism Gary Lineker must have gone through growing up? Hashtag BLM. But my personal favourite was this one from the film Zulu. And Colour Sergeant Bourne says to uh, Lieutenant Chard, Linicals, sir. Thousands of them. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's good to see that people are seeing through this utter nonsense. Yes. Linicker should be ashamed of himself and grow up. But yeah. maybe that's uh, unlikely. Yeah, indeed. We'll be back in a few minutes on the main live stream for some extra. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you to everybody for joining us.
please share the information. This is a very important thing for the UK column. What we produce, we would like to think goes far and wide. So please do share it, hopefully attributed to UK column. Um, but let's get the information out. And a very, very big thank you to those people doing analysis on Ukraine uh, using the whatever social media platforms they can. I will give you more recognition in the coming days. That's, That's it. it. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.